Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Attention pro athletes. Want to secure your financial legacy and thrive off the field? Oak Bridge Wealth Management, led by wealth manager Chris Anasetti, is your dedicated financial planning ally. But don't take it from me. Take it from the Dallas Cowboys' Tyler Biotish. He says, Chris set goals financially and has been incredibly impactful in my journey in the NFL. Experience our customized, comprehensive approach, trusted by top NFL players. Don't leave your financial success to chance. Connect with Chris on Instagram at OakbridgeWM underscore Anaceti. That's OakbridgeWM underscore A-N-I-C-E-T-E. And let Oakbridge Wealth Management guide you across the goal line. Welcome back to a very special crossover episode of the Believe in Badgers podcast and the Night Report on the Believe <laughs> Network, presented by BetOnline.ag and our friends over at Oak Ridge Wealth Management. Once again, I'm Matt Perkins, joined as always by my good friend, Badger legend, the Hebrew Hammer himself, Matt Bernstein. <laughs> Bernie, how you doing today? Man, I, listen, every day on the podcast with you is a holiday. Could have been a Scarlet Knight, <laughs> the Scarlet Knight Hammer, but did, did you know what? The, Scarlet Hammer, the Scarlet Hammer has a really nice sound to it. Does. That sounds like a like a uh, one of those Marvel superheroes that they'd make a movie because they like needed more of it or something been. like that. The Scarlet Hammer. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And, and we are honored here today to have Mike Broadbent from the scarlet not the, just the night report not the scarlet night report just the night report the night report um yeah. you know and uh you know i i have a soft spot for Rutgers personally my dad went to Rutgers. uh shout out Rutgers class in 1970 um and uh yeah man we are we are pumped to talk uh some scarlet knights some badgers and uh what is actually a really exciting game this weekend yeah, I was a little surprised the line came out as high as it did, and it has gotten bet down a little bit. But uh, it, it should be a great game. Yeah, it's it's two teams that have had a lot of transformation over the last uh, six to, to nine to 12 months. So I'm excited to, to hear from your guys' perspective how things are going. You can hear from mine as well. I do think uh, at least our fan base would love to hear uh, Bernie's uh, almost came to Rutgers story, though, before we get too deep into the ter- current teams. Almost came to Rutgers. So when I was in high school, this guy, Chuck Mound, he was like a, a fast foot speed doctor. I, honestly, I, we called it, um, oh man, like speed clinic. He was like this guru okay. speed clinic. And I don't know what it was, but we would do it on a field right outside of Rutgers. And so we would drive there and do like a one-on-one training session. And okay. uh, we toured the facilities once, I guess, co- you know, Chuck Matt or coach got us somehow in there and we, uh, we toured the facilities. It was beautiful, but I had a, a scholarship from uh, Syracuse to play D line. And then Wisconsin came out of nowhere and, you know, it was, it's hard to turn down Wisconsin when you like show up on campus and see it sure. and you're part of it. Rutgers showed more interest. There were, there would have been more interest, you know, an East coast school I could drive to would have been exciting. Um, but they also, you know, at the time, you know, Rutgers played in the Big East. So that it, the Big Ten 
was a draw. A fullback was a draw, even though you guys had Brian Leonard, who who I also thought was awesome. <laughs> um, but neither here nor there. Uh, you know, I picked the Badgers, and and now I'm you know Wisconsin for life. Listen, my my wife's from there. Uh, I work for the university, so like I am so Wisconsin. It's it's like absurd. <laughs> I'm bleeding. Like I wear only red T-shirts now. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it happens to everyone who goes to UW. I feel like even if you're not from the state of Wisconsin, once you're there, man, you are a Wisconsinite. Like, kind of, it's not whether you want to, want to be or not. Like, you are a Wisconsinite. But no matter Every, where you're from, no matter who your team is, the best place to wager on them is at BetOnline.ag, where they continue to be your number one source for all of your online sports wagering needs. You name it, they've got it over there at BetOnline.ag. Head on over to the website, use your mobile device to sign up today, receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v bet online where the game starts we are going to start here uh today gentlemen with uh i want to talk a little bit more about this Rutgers team because you know obviously like i have a little bit of skin in the Rutgers game as you know being a being a Rutgers legacy myself (laughs) um with, with with my dad being a Rutgers alum and always having a big soft sauce for the scarlet knights and really I'm someone who's always really appreciated the way that Greg Schiano's gone about his business, like as a coach, right? Like, and like he and Rutgers just like seem to go together really, really well. And anyone who's watched Rutgers this year, I, I don't know. I'm really impressed with your defense. So like, let's talk, you know, let's talk a little bit of nuts and bolts about the Scarlet Knights for our Badger fans who probably don't know a ton about what's going on uh, in Piscataway right now. So uh, you guys are off to a really, really nice start. Um, so, like, what is – let's start with what's new. What's new this year for the Scarlet Knights that is sort of, you know, taking them, you know, helping them take the next step? So, first and foremost, uh, we have an established QB that's set in stone. Greg Schiano typically doesn't like to name starters, you know, well ahead of, uh, you know, guys seemingly earning the job unless they're already, you know, incumbent starters. So he announced Gavin was the Gavin Wimsett was the uh, starting quarterback. He's a 19 year old. He's about to turn 20, but he's actually in his third year because he, he tried to do the Quinn Ewers thing where he joined midway or before his uh, senior year of high school. So he actually was on campus, he played two games as a high school senior, and then enrolled ahead of the Syracuse game in 2021. So a little unorthodox approach to college uh, from Gavin, but he was named the starter. And there's an entire new offensive staff as well at Rutgers. So there's a new offensive coordinator, Kirk Soraka, who, if you're a Big Ten fan, should be a little bit familiar. He was the longtime uh, offensive coordinator under PJ Flex. So PJ Flex, a Rutgers guy too. Uh, he was they're not Rutgers as in he went there, but he was a, from the Shiano coaching tree. So a lot of the, the the you know idiosyncrasies of like you know Chop and family or whatever. he does row instead of Chop. But uh, he was a guy that was on the Rutgers staff during Greg's first reign. Um, and then he, stick, he stuck with uh, PJ through Western Michigan and at Minnesota for a while. Greg, you know, fought tooth and nail to try and land this guy. Um, and after, you know, a few overtures, he signed a three-year, $4.2 million deal to be Rutgers offensive coordinator in the offseason. Um, and if, you Sounds know, so bad. Not so bad. Uh, Rutgers <laughs> is not known for shelling out if, uh, for their – either their coordinators or any assistants. And that's, you know, long been a, a bane of fans uh, existence because we had the opportunity to land some high profile assistants in the past. It never worked out, but anyway, so we have Kirk Soraka as the offensive coordinator who by all accounts has totally, you know, 
you know, there's some coaches who really can only coach their system. And then there's some coaches who heavily lean towards what are my guys comfortable with? What are my guys good at doing? And Kirk Soraka is certainly the latter. Um, our previous offense coordinator, Sean Gleason, was very much a systems guy and it didn't really go well last year. We also dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, we have a new off, uh, wide receivers coach in Dave Brock, who previously coached with the Falcons. He, you know, he's got a, a laundry list of guys he helped develop into the NFL. He was also at Rutgers at one point. He coached Hakeem Nix in college. He coached Marquise Colston in college. He was, you know, uh, Calvin Ridley's coach the first year he had a, a, a thousand yard season in the NFL. Um, and we also got a longtime NFL offensive line coach in Pat Flaherty, who won two Super Bowls as the offensive line coach of the New York Giants. I think he coached in the NFL for about 20 years. And these guys are all replacing a former high school coach in Nunzio Campanelli, a former high school coach in Augie Hoffman, and a guy who had been the offense coordinator at Princeton before he landed at Rutgers. So the credentials of this staff are much better than they used to be uh, last year. So I think the, the coaching has been night and day better on, on offense, especially. Um, and Gavin has shown that he's made some pretty big strides, like, Last year, he was a 45% completion percentage guy over, you know, 150 attempts. So not great. This year, he's bumped that up to 54%. So it's still below what you'd want in a quarterback in this day and age, but he's made significant progress. He's only turned the ball over one time all season, and it was on a pretty bad play call. Uh, you know, I just hyped up the offensive play caller, and, you know, I, I blame a play call for the interception last week at Michigan, or two weeks ago at Michigan. For the touchdown? Yeah. So Rutgers yeah. Was, was down 17-7. I think they're at the – 28 yard line on the fourth and two of Michigan. Um, and uh, yeah, he called a screen. We hadn't called a screen literally all season and uh, Michigan was all over it. Michigan had three guys surrounding the the wide receiver. He didn't really have a chance, um, but those are kind of the, the high level things. The defense uh, second year under uh, defense coordinator, Joe Harris Simiak, who has been a fantastic coordinator for us. Um, we've got probably the most talent on the team. Most of the talent on the team is on the defensive side. Um, we've probably got four to five NFL guys, future NFL guys starting on our defense at least. Uh, so, I mean, that's always been a hallmark of Shiano is these tough teams that are defensive oriented. Uh, he, he calls it complimentary football. Uh, I think that's a little antiquated at this point, but um, those are the high level beats is that the defense has improved from last year. They returned most of their players. The offensive staff is a totally revamped staff and Gavin Wimsett has made strides in his second year as the, the mostly full-time starter. Last year, he's, he would have been if he, didn't get hurt, but yeah. I mean, it, Michigan game. You you guys fought hard, man. That yeah. that pick put you down. I mean, that was a hard. That was a game changer for the entire game. But you guys went into Michigan and played really hard. I, I thought you guys played great football. That made me nervous thinking of Rutgers coming up a little <laughs> bit to watch because you do have. You're you're right. The offense looked solid. Yeah. I mean, outside of some bad, and you're right. I think. You, you have to, as a coach, put your players in the best position to succeed. And sometimes you don't yep. and bad things happen and you cannot always blame the, the, the players, you know, like that's the play call. You th usually throw it to the, to the screen. Um, but it must be exciting just to watch, you know, the growing pains of coming into the big 10 and this year feels different for you guys. Is that how you are, are viewing this? I do. I predict them to have five wins this season um, in my preseason projections. I think they'll easily get to six, maybe even seven this year, given how things have kind of broken for Rutgers too. I mean, they still have Indiana on the schedule. They still have Michigan State on the schedule. Uh, both those teams have kind of bottomed out. You know, we're going to play Iowa the second to last game of the season. And Kate McNamara is not for the season with 
they haven't announced it, but it looked like an ACL. Um, no, they, they announced it earlier today that he's out for the season and that he uh, their starter is former Badger back of Deacon Hill. Yeah, he was a guy we, we kind of showed a little interest in in the portal, but I don't think it was ever yep. going to happen. Um, well, he was actually committed to Fordham for a hot second and then oh, interesting. to Iowa in the portal. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but yeah. yeah, in general, I think the vibe. So I went to, to Rutgers from 2007 to 2010. So after the 2006 year, so I was a Rutgers football fan first and foremost. Like I went in high school to, you know, a handful of games. Um, so I remember very acutely, like, what it was like on campus when this thing was rolling. And it was so much fun. Like you guys probably went to Wisconsin at some point when you guys were rolling because Wisconsin seems to always be rolling. So I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying is probably no, not, not unfamiliar to you guys. Um, but it was like this palpable energy all around campus all fall and everybody was all tuned into it. And in the years after I graduated, the Kyle Flood era and the Chris Ash era, it was demoralizing because like, our first year in the Big Ten, we went eight and five, went to the Motor City Bowl, we beat North Carolina, and really everything's gone bad since. I don't think we had a winning season since 2014, uh, which is one of the longest streaks in the Power Five. And we, we've gotten to the point where like any glimmer of hope was something that we were just, you know, latching on to. Like last year when Sam Brown had like, you know, 90 yards against Ohio State. It was like, oh my God, we might have something. We might have a guy who could make a, you know, make a tack, like miss a, make a guy miss a tackle on offense. This is amazing. And this year has been a, a flip has definitely switched inside this program. I mean, we didn't really blow out anybody outside of you know FCS teams, and we had a, a blowout against uh, Temple a few years ago, opening weekend. But that was basically because of turnovers and setting up short fields. But this year has been different. We've been putting away teams, and last year we we went on. Uh, we went on the road opening day and beat Boston College like 20, 22 to 20 or something like that. It was a really close game. There were a three and nine Boston College team. This year, you know, you look at Virginia Tech, who's better than Boston College last year, and they beat them by, you know, three scores. Same thing for Temple. We beat them by 30 points. We beat a team in Northwestern that looks a lot better than I thought they were going to look coming out of week one. We, we would have had it pitched a shutout against them if it wasn't for a muffed punt with two minutes left in the game, setting up, you know, first and 10 on the 30 for uh, Northwestern. So the vibes are definitely different, but I, I definitely from being so, you know, boots on the ground with Rutgers, the team is much different mentality wise as well. It feels like they're finally figuring out how to win these games and how to not shoot themselves in the foot and lose games too. So that's the thing that I wanted to mention, because like, I think a hallmark of Rutgers in the past that, you know, when I've watched that, they always seem to have the most untimely penalties and just like you said, like shooting themselves in the foot and, and just making a lot of boneheaded mistakes. But I mean, if you look at it this year, like they are bottom 10 in the country in total penalties. They are, you know, time of possession. They're doing fantastic. Like they're holding, you guys are holding the ball a ton, you know, not a lot of penalty yards in just the defense. Like uh, that really stands out in terms of, I mean, statistically top 25 in the country, total defense, rushing defense, passing defense, scoring defense, like all of these really important statistics, even turnover margin. Like it seems like it's a much better, it's like teams playing a lot cleaner, you know, for lack of yes. a better word. And so I, it is, I feel like in the past you could have always like counted on Rutgers to, to mess it up a couple times in the game. And like, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit about that pick against, Michigan, you were used to seeing that three or four times a game, and now it seems to happen like maybe once every two or three games. 
Yeah, I think it, it comes down, if you look at Rutgers' depth chart, almost every guy on that depth chart is a junior or senior, or in terms of eligibility-wise, like with the whole COVID stuff, Rutgers is getting uh, a lot of guys to come back for that extra year that most teams don't have the luxury of because, you know, they're they're good enough to start, but they wouldn't be somebody who's, like, worth poaching at the same time. That's no knock to our guys, but, like, you know, if, if we were a better team, we'd have more guys getting poached by bigger programs, uh, at least in the past few years. But but anyway, like almost every player on the team is an upperclassman. And I think the coaching has improved light years from this past year to uh, 2023. So I think that's why, where you're kind of seeing it is because they're older, because the coaching's better. Another stat is Rutgers is first in terms of missed tackle rate uh, on defense uh, in the power five too. So they're just... They're executing at a high level. They're basically getting the most out of the talents they have. And some of the guys are, like I said, legit NFL guys. Some are not. And so, you know, the the results are mixed against especially teams like Michigan. But against teams that Rutgers is on the same level or better than, they're just dominating teams, which you probably haven't seen on the banks in 10 years. Well, it, it, I guess it brings us to the Badgers because Matt Burke is telling me differently. I think our, our strength is our offense this year. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think we're. I think listen, everything's brand new, so that that brings an edge to the Badgers because you really almost everyone's new or in a different position, um, and it's a completely different. So I think that gives us an edge. You know, our best against your best is always what you want to be. You yep. want to watch. Um, you know, you got to stop Braylon Allen. Dude is a monster truck. I think he is fantastic, and he finds a way to make a hole, make somebody miss, break a tackle. Like, he always comes through in the clutch. It'll be interesting to see who's kind of, like, backing him up because we we don't – I mean, those guys aren't proven yet. Yeah. Um, you know, the O-line, you, got, you said your D-line is pretty stout. Our O-line could have their hands full. Yeah, really? Uh, That's, yeah, like, always absolutely. the hallmark of Wisconsin is having a solid offensive line. I know. And, you know, I – this year, I think you can make a pretty strong case. The offensive line is in the worst position group on offense. The offensive line is in the worst position group on offense. If wow. you know, if not the entire team, it's I. You know, a lot of it is you know, from my vantage point, is the fact that they're adapting to a completely new offensive system. Right? They've gone from you know, uh, you know, pro style under center. You know, a lot of twelve personnel, twenty one personnel, twenty two personnel ram the ball down your throat, you know, run the ball 45 times a game to now it is everything's in the shotgun. Everything's in the shotgun. Um, You know, it's all a a lot more pass setting and, you know, guys have not been asked to do that for their entire careers. And now they are, and they've been, you know, a lot of mixed results, a lot of mixed results. And, you know, you saw when, Wisconsin went up against a really athletic defensive line in Washington state. They got bullied. Like they got absolutely bullied. And, you know, you, you know, they, they could, Washington state has two future NFLers on that defensive line. And they, they really got, they got their Wisconsin offensive line got, got the candy taken from them in that game. And even in, I think it was in the last game burn. Yeah. I think it was in that Purdue game every starter on the Wisconsin line got a penalty called on them, whether it was a free snap or a hold. And so that unit is my, is, you know, is a big question mark coming into this game. And now coming off of a buy, you know, Wisconsin got a buy at at what is kind of a crucial time between 
you know, not just that and needing to sort of reorganize, not reorganize the offensive line. It's the same starting unit they've had for all five games. But, um, you know, Bernie mentioned the backups on at running back because the number two back or the, the one, let's face it, the one A back because Chess Malusi was getting just as many touches as Braylon Allen in the first four weeks of the season. Well, he he broke his fibula and he's out for the rest of the year, which was a, which oh, was a damn shame because he had been playing really really strong football and in a lot of ways actually fit Phil Longo's system a lot better in terms of what he could do. He's a little bit you know a little bit faster, a little bit um, you know uh, had seemed to you know really gel with that system a little bit more. And so now they have uh, fullback turned tailback Jackson Aker as the as the number two as the number two running back this week and that is going to be um that's going to be really interesting watch how much does braylon allen is he out there 90 percent of the snaps because i mean they've been splitting basically 50 50 with braylon and chez and you know everyone behind braylon now with chez gone is completely unproven like less than 10 carries in their Mm. career unproven and so this game to me especially you know you talk about a stout Rutgers defense a Wisconsin offense that has had some ups. Like we've seen the passing game evolve. Tanner Mordecai um, uh, has gotten better. I think burn. I think you'd agree with me here. He's gotten better. Like as the seasons went on, he seemed more comfortable um, with, you know, receivers and a lot of transfers in, in, you know, in the two deep, I think half the guys in the two deep and in the wide receivers, uh, three of the six guys in the two deep are transfers, uh, and so, you know, getting everyone getting on the same page there. But I am, you know, I'm a little bit worried about this Rutgers defense. I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, because they have, because again, like Rutgers doesn't really miss a lot of tackles. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, 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 well-coached team is going to be in the right place. And so it's going to be up to, I think we're going to see a lot more Will Pauling in this game, the slot receiver uh, for the Badgers. And then a lot of Chimery DK, the number one wide receiver. I can see those two guys being sort of like, the real big in, impact guys there because Wisconsin still going to want is it's weird saying Wisconsin wants to spread spread them out, but Wisconsin wants to spread them out now, and it is <laughs> not at all like anything like we have been accustomed to seeing for thirty years in Madison. Yeah, do you guys mind talking about that a little bit? Because for Rutgers fans, it'll sure. be it'll be intriguing to hear. Uh, obviously, Luke Fickle was a home run hire for you guys. He was one of the the more seasoned. Uh, I guess he's not a it's not a Group of Five program anymore, but he crushed it outside of that one year at, you know, I think he had that seven and six year at Ohio state in between the, uh, the Jim Trestle and the urban Meyer era, which I think gave him an uh, unwarranted taint to his, uh, co- head coaching. Well, he wasn't uh, ready to be a head coach. He wasn't, he, wasn't he was ready thrown to be into an awful situation. Yeah. Yeah. But, but he also then, he, he also then stepped back and let day take over. Yep. Like what a, what a, he let Urban take over, not not Day. Oh, sorry, sorry, over. Urban. My bad. But what a, what an amazing thing as a coach to do. Like nobody want nobody does that. You, you don't see that really ever in terms of the guy staying on staff after that as well. But I, I guess because he was an Ohio State guy, because it was probably the let's be honest. Like if, if you're not going to have a head coaching job, you might as well be on the staff of a, te- a program like Ohio State or Alabama because that's going to ultimately lead you to a better job anyway. But also like the offensive philosophy, like. Wisconsin has been so singularly like we are a power running team. You know, our best players are offensive linemen and our running backs. You know, you have a long history of, you know, you know, both putting offensive linemen in the NFL and also putting running backs in the NFL. So like, what is the the shock been amongst your fan base of like, what is this like alien spaceship that's landed at Camp Randall that we're watching now? 
Well, I think I think there the shock is is all the whole entire program is new. I mean, yeah. really, Chris McIntosh, the AD, broke away from thirty plus years of you know Wisconsin culture. I can't say it's a bad thing. I think it's it it could have the vision of Chris McIntosh to bring in Fickle, bring in Longo, bring in Tressel. Like these these could have huge impacts. I think later. I think people have to manage their expectations. This is all new. Every sure. single the coaches are new. They're moving to Madison. The players are learning all new positions. We do nothing the same, <laughs> and we're on what game five. So like. Yep. I think the buy is huge for us. I think that gives us another week to watch more film, to go over Rutgers, to go over Iowa, to go through what we have coming up. You know, bye week was great, but you really, you're grinding. Um, and I think that helps us a lot. It keeps us fresh. You know, we talk about Braylon might have to have 40 carries. He could do it off of bye week. I don't trust that for the whole season. But to get, to get back to your question is, it's, I mean, our – I'm, I'm a fullback. We don't do fullbacks. No. So like, <laughs> it hurts. You know, like it hurts. Yep. But I'm excited for where the program, the potential for where the program can go. And I think you're watching guys get better, right? Tanner Mordecai from game one to, to Purdue is a whole new man. Sure. Running the football, confident, calling plays. He puts a, he's a, throws a laser beam. You know, I think the O-line is getting better. I think they're figuring it out. You know, it's all new schemes. They're asked to do so many new things. That's hard. Like, no matter if you're the best alignment or not, it's hard to do that stuff. It's all new terminologies. The whole thing is hard. Yeah. Let me hop in and talk Go about the it. defense here a little bit because uh, it, it may be a little bit more subtle to the naked eye, but the difference in Trestle's 3-3-5 scheme from Jim Leonard's 3-4, and the 3-4 has been run in Wisconsin for a decade, Ever since Gary Anderson came in and brought Dave Aranda with him, they transitioned from the 4-3 that they had run under Alvarez and Bielema for 20 years to switching to the 3-4. And that 3-4 defense for the last decade had been, you know, alongside Iowa, the best defense in the country year over year, right? In, in terms mm-hmm. of yards, a lot of points, you know, points, allowed, whatever metric you want, every year is Iowa, Wisconsin, and Alabama in terms of the best defense, best defense in the country from 2013 through 2022. And now, and the thing about that is in that three, four, you were seeing, you know, a, a lot of, uh, you know, pass rushes being generated by outside linebackers and D backs were at BS and drop back in zone. Well, now in the three, three, five, uh, the corners are being asked to play man all day. And it is, you know, the guys that they've been brought in, the guys they've been recruited are guys that have been recruited to play in the three, four, you know, to play the zone play three, four, and not to, you know, didn't really bring in pro- guys to be proper nickelbacks or anything like that. And now you, you've got a starting nickelback. You've got safeties being asked to do very different things. Corners being asked to play a lot more press coverage. And there have been a lot of growing pains. Like you've seen the DBs get, get torched sometimes. And now um, I think what we've seen in the last couple games is they're doing a better job understanding when they can, can gamble and when they can't. You see, like, in the last game against Purdue, Ricardo Hallman gets two interceptions, two big interceptions, and he does, you know, he does a really good job of starting – he's starting to do a really good job understanding, even from, like, week one through week four, like, w- when can I, like, you know, try to take that gamble and go for the pick, and when do I just need to, like, play proper coverage and stick with my guy? And – you can see him doing a lot of improvement there, but there, there's still 
They're a light team, though, because of the switch of the 3-3-5. They're very, very light. Three down linemen. You know, James Thompson, the, the defensive end, has really been the only guy who's been able to get even a semblance of a consistent pass rush. But, you know, the, the pass rush has, has been not been coming like we've seen in years past. Now, this team doesn't have a Nick Herbig. This team doesn't have um, a, uh, you know, a TJ Watt. This team doesn't have an Andrew Van Ginkle that is going to rack up a lot of sacks in the same way. We thought it might be someone like a Daryl Peterson, um, but it just hasn't been there yet. And I, that's a lot due to, to adjustments in the scheme. And in the, it's taking a minute for these guys. To, it seems like really feel comfortable. I felt like burn in those first couple of games, like it felt like, you know, the backers were half a step slow. The D backs were half a step slow. The defensive linemen were like there, but not like really being explosive. And I think we're starting to see like little, you know, little incremental improvements there. But if Wisconsin is going to really take the next step, they have to get a more established and a more consistent pass rush. Otherwise, you know, they still don't have, you know, like five-star athletes out there playing corner who can hold up for uh, five, six, seven seconds in pass coverage and really be sticky to these guys. Because, you know, uh, you know, we're used to having Nick Herbig being, being on the quarterback in three seconds, and they just don't have that anymore. Uh, you no, know, you're you're right. I think our I think our our skill player. It's we. It's a whole new defense. It, it is a tough is. thing to you know. You're talking about. I correlated to me when I showed up at Wisconsin. I was god awful. Like I I couldn't even carry the water out to the team. So imagine my my ramp up was almost a year long of being on the scout team, getting my butt kicked, watching film, grinding in the off season, lifting, doing all these things. I had a year almost. You know, these guys had uh, spring practices, 15, 14 practices, 16 practices maybe. And then you can only do what you can do off the field. But if you don't know what to do off the field, it's very difficult to simulate the pass routes and getting a feel for each other. This isn't the NFL where these guys just go to places and, and spend the vacation doing it. It's way different. So I would say that, you know, you have coaches learning the players, players learning the coaching schemes. If you're not confident or you just don't know you know it 100%, none of us do anything that fast if we don't know it's what we should be doing. So I think you're going to see us just continuously get better, but it's going to be mistakes and then learning from it, right? And, and picking up on different things, picking up different cues. The coaches will start seeing things. It, it, it's going to get better and better. It just takes us – it takes time. You know, we're in a whole new regime. These guys didn't even have one recruiting class, right? They run different things, and they're asking players who are brought in to do one thing, or not to do one thing, but to play in one scheme or two schemes, offense and defense, are asked to do completely different things. It's very different. different things. It's very different. But I'm excited because I was nervous about Purdue, and we went in there and really came out Dominated. of the gates firing. Yeah. So that makes me excited that we're picking up things on a bye week. We all know bye weeks are fantastic. You get a, you can blow off that steam over the weekend. I don't know what they did. I just remember my bye weekends. They said no <laughs> practice on Saturday, and you're like Friday. It was a bender. We would go on. So, uh, <laughs> but then you know, come Sunday, you you you're locked back in, right? It's homecoming. Mike, have you been to Camp Randall? I've not. It's definitely on my short list of places that I, I really want to go see. Because um, I know, I feel like I'm from Jersey. So basically, like 
no matter where you're from, New Jersey, it seems like, you know, a million people who went to whatever different schools. I know a bunch of people who went to Wisconsin, heard nothing but glowing things about it. Uh, I'm sure you guys all know Jersey people from, you know, going to college there. It seems like we always stand out for whatever reason, good or bad. (laughs) Um, So I have not been, but I heard it's amazing, you know, from the tailgating to just Madison's a gorgeous town. Yeah. It's um, it's like almost a bunch of fraternities, parents weekend. It's is it homecoming this coming weekend? Okay, homecoming. The game's at three o'clock Eastern, two there. When you're talking about it, is game sold out? We don't don't take this wrong. You we don't sell out a lot of teams that aren't like Michigan, Ohio State. Mm -hmm. But this team sold out. I mean, they they they. Don't have there's no more tickets to get. People are texting me no. trying to find tickets. I got nothing. I, I got I, I'm not even going to the game. Um, so I think it, you know that bodes well for us, right? Mm-hmm. I, I love playing at home. Playing away is brutal. It, it just is. You really have to have a chip on your shoulder to go somewhere else. You know, go into their lock their away locker rooms. Use the facilities there. Like everything is feels awkward. Um. But it's going to be crazy there. And, and I, I love that it's homecoming for us out of this bye. I don't know, man. I think it's going to be a really good game. I think Rutgers has stepped their game up enough mm-hmm. that it, w- it will be a fist fight. And that's what the Big Ten is all about. It is yep. literally two Goliaths standing in a, the middle of the ring, just punching each other in the face. And someone eventually flinches. That's a Coach Alvarez thing. And <laughs> the other team wins, right? Like it's, yep. it, it's, it is like that. I think. Both teams need to start fast. I think both teams obviously need to control the line of scrimmage. This is like, you know, couch potato stuff. Um, but our skilled players, like our offense needs to beat your offense. I mean, that's really – it sounds stupid, but if you score more points, we're going to win. We have to score those points. We can't kick field sure. Attention athletes. Do you want a frictionless and tailored financial planning experience to secure your future? Well, look no further. Introducing Oak Bridge Wealth Management the premier financial planning firm for professional athletes. Led by wealth manager, Chris Anasetti, our team provides a unique and comprehensive approach, ensuring your financial success both on and off the field. We understand the unique challenges you face as a professional athlete, from managing cash flow habits to planning major business purchases and navigating complex contracts. That's why we've developed a proven process, working closely with our strategic partners to provide seamless solutions for your unique financial journey. Our services evolve with your career, offering short, mid, and long-term goal setting, portfolio optimization, real estate investments, and more. As you transition to life beyond the field, we support you with career development and philanthropic ventures. But don't just take our word for it. Top NFL players like Chase Roulier, Tyler Biotish, Alec Ingold, and more trust Oak Bridge Wealth Management to guide them towards financial success. Troy Dye of the Minnesota Vikings says, I really love the work that Chris and the rest of the Oak Bridge group do. I especially like the honesty and transparency when it comes to setting up financial goals and plans that best fit my needs and situation. It's time to elevate your financial game plan. Connect with Chris on Instagram at OakbridgeWM underscore Anacete. That's OakbridgeWM underscore A-N-I-C-E-T-E. And join the winning team. Yeah, I do kind of want to touch on your guys' offense a little bit. 
like the rushing stats are gaudy. So I, I don't want to go there because you already kind of went deep into that. But the passing stuff isn't nearly as, uh, you know, not impressive because that's not the right word, but it's not as, I don't want to say gaudy again, but for a for an air raid offense, you'd expect a little bit more production, I guess, uh, from the passing game. Do you guys mm-hmm. feel that way as well? Or is it, because I know I, I was kind of keeping track of the Purdue game last week and it seemed like, Every time I would look at the ticker, it was like Tanner Mordecai, and it was expected to be a passing touchdown, but it was a rushing touchdown. Yeah. So, like, what? Yeah. What? How do you guys feel about your passing attack right now? I know, I know you talked about the, the the offensive line being possibly the most suspect unit on the whole team. You talked about Will Pauling, the slot receiver, possibly being your biggest weapon. But like, general vibes around the passing offense after four games in the area. I mean, I think that it's the timing is really hard for a lot of these guys, right. To get used to look, it's like Bernie said, 15 spring practices plus fall camp plus whatever they get during the week. Like it's not a ton to, to adjust to an entirely new scheme, entirely new root tree for a lot of the receivers and stuff like that. A new quarterback who's come in from, you know, who's already been in two other programs in his collegiate career. He has a different passing motion. He has a different rhythm with which he throws the ball than Graham Mertz did. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, the ball comes out of his hands very, very differently, even to the naked eye, right? Like Graham Mertz, you know, was your prototypical six foot four statuesque quarterback who had, you know, a classic throwing motion. Like Mordecai's like almost like sidearm half the time, right? And, you know, the ball spins off of his hand a little bit differently. And I think that you can see that the timing's getting a little bit better. The other thing though that's plagued this team, they've had some really untimely drops. Like uh, Skyler Bell, slot receiver, has had two would have been 50-plus yard touchdowns that he just flat out dropped for no reason whatsoever other than they just he just dropped it, bounced right off of his hands. And those two touchdowns alone would have generated a massive – like I mean, you're, you're probably looking at like 120 yards between those two, like a 50 and a 70-yard touchdown. True. And – you know, those big plays, they have a, a couple really few drops. And that's been tough, I think. You know, it, it, that's been a little bit backbreaking. And then also just, you know, sort of the getting used to the play calling and the rhythm for this team, it's taking a minute for them to gel. And I think that it's also been interesting. They've gotten Braylon Allen involved in the passing game. He has a ton of receptions for like not a lot of yards. Like he's getting like three yards of catch. It's really weird. I don't mm-hmm. quite get why they keep throwing the ball to him, quite frankly. Like Braylon Allen is someone who needs to get chugging, rolling downhill. And like, you know, you throw a little swing pass to him and he has to like dance to miss a defender. That's not what he's going to do. Like he's going to be easier to tackle in open space. He's not a jitterbug. He's a freight train. But you hand the ball off to him going downhill and you can't tackle him. So. It's been interesting to see how they've been using these guys and experimenting with these guys. And I imagine coming out of the bye week, that we're going to see a lot of new wrinkles in this past game. And I, like I said, I really would not be surprised if we see a big game from Will Pauling um, and just like getting him the ball even more. He led the team in receptions. I want to see the first game, but his, his usage has gone down a little bit in the last couple of weeks, but I think he's going to be going back up just because I think there's going to be a a a rekindled interest in even having to force the pass game even more without Chez. And then, you know, B, I think that, you know, if, uh, you know, Rutgers doesn't necessarily have like 
you know, you've got some really solid guys at the top, but the depth isn't quite there, you know, at, you know, at, especially at, you know, a cornerback position, right? So you're going to want to attack the slot if you possibly can. I think we're going to see a lot of four wide receiver looks this week, a lot of tight end out in the slot, especially true freshman talk about Ashcraft, um, who's been getting a ton of run at tight end. And so I'm, I'm just curious, I'm curious to see that. And I think that, you know, I think part of the stress though, with when part of the reason that the, uh, you know, some of the bigger passing numbers haven't been there is a combination of a offensive line struggles. Like the offensive line has definitely struggled and work. I hasn't had all the time in the world to throw the ball. And then, um, and be like, it's been a lot of short, quick throws just to get into rhythm and not trying to take And then when they've taken those shots downfield, we've had, you know, big drops. And so I think it's sort of like the combination of the two. It's also not a true. It's also not a true air raid. Like I think calling it, it it is air raid in terms of the way that they want to spread teams out. But I mean, if you look at like passes versus runs, it's not like they're throwing the ball eighty percent of the time. You know, it's much closer to still fifty fifty. Yeah, I would say I would say Phil Longo told us this. He said we're going to take what they give us, and if you're going to go against the the pass, you're going to run. So he runs it. He's re- he ran Hannah Mordecai had like 14 carries, probably about six or seven of them were called run plays. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're I think we're opening up the offense. I think you watched the first three games. Maybe Washington State was different, but we had some drops again. And I think once you correct those things, you're going to see something completely different. But if you're playing too deep or you're playing, you know, cover three or whatever, we're going to throw it underneath all the time. You're just you're out. You know, like we got to find those holes. And to me, Tanner Mordecai, his arm is awesome. Like it comes off like a laser beam. I think he makes he makes great decisions. You know, he's had a couple turnovers, but they weren't they weren't hard throws. You know, guys were just in better positions. So um, I think you you watch those guys gel a little bit more. Will Pauling, I like all DK. I think they just all make plays. Um, and you see they're, they're – to me, the wide receiver room is like the most exciting because there's yeah, it's, depth it's everywhere, and these guys are making catches. They don't look mad when they don't get the ball. Like it's it seems very cohesive, and I like that, right? In an air raid, a typical air raid, this is what you, you're hoping that your quarterback can spread around. We have multiple guys with catches. So if you imagine first game, Scour Belt doesn't drop it, this is a 70-yard touchdown, and now his stats are ridiculous – and the pick came right after that, so you're mm-hmm. you know you're adding on and subtracting here. So, you know, I think um, I think Purdue played played off of us, and we just took advantage. So I like that Phil Longo's mindset is we're going to take what you give us, and we're just going to go against. We're just going to find what works for us. So if the run game's there, we're just going to run it. If Tanner Mordecai is going to run it, I think that's bananas to me because <laughs> I hate when the quarterback runs. But he's like, hey, these guys are going to rush that hard. We're just going to run up the middle with them, and it worked. So you know you so so I think those things are are interesting. I would agree. Also, when you, when Phil Longo showed up here, he had an offense that was running ready to run twenty two personnel with a fullback downhill, right? That was the group of players that he came into. So you're switching everything, right? So at this point, he's got to find what what works not just for him, right? We we talked about the um, the offensive coordinator that, that Rutgers has. Right, he he's got to coach the players he has, and sure. I think that's what he's doing. So, so I I think he'll find what's working in a game and and use that to his advantage. But I think you'll see some more deep shots. 
I think you have to, right? Like we gotta throw the ball down the yeah. field. Um, but Longo's offense is still like we're fresh into it. You know, watching four games in a spring game is not enough. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, yeah, I just I'm the more you guys kind of talk about your weaknesses, uh, the weirdly, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way, the better I feel about Rutgers' chances, honestly, because I was expecting like <laughs> you guys to have a defense or an offensive line that was fairly stout that was going to ha- be tough to bring pressure on. I expected you guys to have a pretty tough front seven because that's kind of been the hallmark. But the more you guys talk about it, it really is just a totally different program under – and that's because it's transitional. Time. Yeah. But we also pick up on, like, the things that we dislike the most, and we beat those things. You know, we – Matt Perkins and I – last year we didn't have a special teams coach. Oh, my God. We missed so many field goals. We kicked balls out. <laughs> we we would talk about that, like, 30 Every minutes week. out of an hour podcast. Every <laughs> week. So, so Every I mean, listen, as a as someone who does a podcast, like, you, you talk about the things that you need to improve on. Sure. And I think that's where you focus a lot. We could focus and talk about Brandon Allen and the wide receivers. I could do this all day. Sure, sure, but sure. if you're talking about a unit that needs help within the wide receivers, the quarterback, and the tight ends, and the running back, and the O-line, it's the O-line. But it's not saying that they can't do it. They just they haven't put a full game together. Mm-hmm. Is, is they've, had, you know, they've had times when the gates have opened, and they've had times when they've done great. So – I. We, you know, we harp on that. I think the defense is figuring it out. It's a little bit more difficult. And a 3-4 and a 3-3 is completely – like, even when I watch, I have no idea what's going on. I've never <laughs> – you know, I've never seen a 3-3. 3-4, I can understand. Sure. Uh, 3-3, it's, it's hard for even me to understand. And it's a pain in the ass to play against when those players know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And UNLV whooped our butt in 2002 or three with a 3-3. We literally had our heads spinning. We had no idea where pressure was coming from. They played all man. It, it was like – it was absolute pandemonium. They beat us like 20 – Matt Burke as well. We scored like five points. Yeah, Seven it was points. like – I think I want to say it was like 28 to 6 or something like that or 24 it was, to 6. It was, yeah, yeah, it was bad. We couldn't figure it out. So eventually that's the, the where I think we'll be. Yeah, I remember West Virginia used to – Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.